0: You might wonder why do we need God to create a new heart in us? Why did David, because he wrote this song. Why would he write such a song, crying out for mercy? He was the king, King David. Why would he need mercy? God had ordained him and put him in power. Why would he need mercy? Why would he need forgiveness? Why would he need grace? If we were to back up, just a short time, I believe, before this uh, psalm was written, we would find that in David's court, one day, Nathan, the prophet, shows up and wants to talk to David. David's all ears. This is God's prophet. And he begins to listen and Nathan begins to talk to him. And it says in 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter, the first verse, it says, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and he began to talk to him. He began to give him a parable. And I find it interesting that God gave Nathan a parable. If you go and read Jesus' ministry, I believe Jesus would have been the greatest preacher ever, right? He taught in parables. And he gave a parable to Nathan to share with David. And the parable was that uh, there were two men. They were neighbors. Of those two neighbors, one was rich, one was poor. One had many flocks and one had none. But he purchased a little ewe lamb. And he brought that little ewe lamb into his home. He treated it like his daughter. He loved the little ewe lamb. He would... And I've seen people do this. He would feed the lamb out of his own bowl. He loved that little lamb. He would hold her. He would cuddle her. He was raising her. And we read that the Israelites did this even before they were brought out uh, of Egypt. But the man, the poor man, loved this. A visitor came to the rich man and he was unwilling to slaughter one of his own. It would have cost him Money. It would have cost him something. And rather than slay his own ewe lamb or lamb, he stole the poor man's lamb and fed his guest. This is the story that Nathan has shared with David. David had a reaction, an immediate reaction to someone unfairly stealing from someone else when they had plenty for themselves. And this, in verse 5, was David's reaction. He said, then David's anger was greatly kindled. That means he was angry. And by the way, when David got angry, people died. Some by the thousands, sometimes ten thousands. That's what happened when God came upon him and he killed the Philistine. So David was not unaccustomed And when he got angry, he expected things to happen, and they were going to be taken care of. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, Boy, he's standing up for God now, isn't he? As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And his friend and his prophet Nathan stood and listened to his tirade until he got done. And then if you will look, there is an exclamation point at the end of this. As strongly as he had said that, Nathan looked him square in the eye and said, You are the man. You're the one that did it. And suddenly, the last year of David's life flashed before him. I will guarantee you he immediately thought of the whole last year. You see, a year before in the spring, he sent his army to Amon, Jordan, a country away, to fight. And when this happened in the springtime, the kings led their armies. But David had been fighting for a long time. He had destroyed all of his armies, and they were just going after more land, and it was going to be an easy fight. God always blessed And David took his leisure, and he stayed home this time. He didn't go. It says that he got up from his couch in the afternoon. In other words, he took a nap. And I'm with him. I like naps. I hope to get one this afternoon, especially after some of that lost sleep last night. But David should have been leading his army. That was his appointed place. Instead, he's at home. And he gets up, and he takes a walk around the top of his palace, overlooking his city, the city of David. He's overlooking Jerusalem. He's taken in all the sights, and he observe it, observes Bathsheba. It says she was an extremely beautiful woman. And here he is, where he shouldn't have been. He sees what he shouldn't have seen. And he says, Go get her. Who is that? And his servants must have recognized they knew David. They've been around him a while. And they recognized flags up. Wait a minute. And they came back and they said, David, that's Bathsheba. That's Uriah's wife. You see, Uriah was one of the 37 valiant men in David's army. That's why he lived close enough for David to be able to see him. He had shed blood to save the king's life. He was all in. And he's in Amman, Jordan. A country away. And David blows through the stop signs, the warning signs. And he said, go get her and bring her to me. And his subjects had no choice but to do what he said and she had no choice but to do what was asked of her to come. And an affair with her. They had sex with her. And when he was done with his little pleasure, he sent her home. And all's good. He's done. A few weeks go by. Knock on the door. One of his servants hands him a note. Bathsheba sent him a note. David, I'm pregnant. Now we've got a problem. Or at least that's what it's called in this day and time. What do we do with those problems? We go down and we kill them. Right down to the local abortion. Well, they didn't have abortion then. David had a problem. How was he going to handle this problem? He figures it out quickly. And he's got he's on top of it. David's smart. He calls for Uriah to come home, spend time at home. Calls him up from a country away to come home from the battle. Spend time at home. Man, you've earned it. Come on home. But Uriah was an upstanding man, and when he hit town, he went and stayed with the king's guard. and As the king heard about it, he called Uriah in and tried to get him to go home. If he'd just go home and spend some time with his wife, then all would be covered. Nobody would know. But Uriah was a soldier. He was a valiant man, and he wouldn't do it. The king tries to get him drunk, did get him drunk. And even in a drunken state, Uriah wouldn't go home to his wife. His place was serving the king. His place was being in the battle. And he wouldn't go. And in doing so, he essentially signed his own death warrant. The next morning, David hands him a note, a letter, sends it back to the battle, sends him back to the battle, and then instructs them to put him in the heat of the battle and for them to pull back and allow him to be killed. And the word comes home not long after. They actually did what they knew better than to do. They sent a group of people up to the wall to fight. And then they fell back. And it wasn't just Uriah that was killed. There were others around him that were killed. So David, being the benevolent and wonderful king that he is, calls and brings Bathsheba into his palace. Now she's his wife. He's reached out to do a good deed. At least it looks like that on the surface. She has the child. And then Nathan shows up. When Nathan confronted David with this and said, you're the man, and this flashed in front of David's eyes, we find in verse 13, David said this to Nathan. I have sinned against the Lord. He was broken hearted. He realized the gig was up. There was no more hiding it. There was no running from it. He was going to have to deal with it now. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born will die. And we know the story that David went and grabbed onto the altar and stayed there, and the child did die. And I believe, it's out of the book of Tony, but it would seem to make sense, that after this, when David got up and he ate and he cleaned himself up, that he began to write this psalm, and he gave it to the choir master. And that's where Psalm 55 comes from. I want to look at five different points, break this into five different sections, and take a look at the 55th psalm this morning. Folks, if you're here this morning, and you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart, you've never faced your sin. This morning can be that morning. He wants to have mercy on you. If you're here this morning, you're a Christian, and you faltered, and you've got something that you're hiding. Nobody knows about it. God does. And I've watched him time after time bring things to light, miraculously, that people think are hidden. People think no one else is affected by God has a way of working these things. And this morning, I want you to know if you're a Christian and you're struggling with something, you have a sin that's hidden. You have something that you've not addressed, you've not been willing to face. And in a crowd this size, I know there is. This morning could be that morning. There is mercy, there is grace, and there is the opportunity to cry out for it. In verse 1 it says, the first verse David wrote, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love and according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. You can tell that when David wrote this psalm, he's under duress. He knows he's messed up. He's distraught over what he's done. He's actually taken a full stock and looked at. Maybe doesn't even fully understand what it's all about. David was reminding God in the first line of this, of his never failing love. God, you need to understand that. God has a steadfast love. That means you can drive a stake. It's there. It's not going anywhere. It'll be there tonight. It'll be there tomorrow. It'll never go away. God's steadfast love does not move. David is reminding God of that. He's reminding him of his abundant mercy. What's abundant mean? It means a lot. I mean, you can't measure it. And David is crying out and asking God for his abundant mercy that he would give him this mercy. You see, David is now faced with how filthy and dirty he is in the sight of God. He sees it now. He's been trying to hide it, cover it up. That's been the thing. Ignore it. It will go away. But now he's confronted with it and he sees it. The thing you have to love about David, I had this, I've heard this said often about David, when faced with his failure, he immediately admitted it. Oh, he'd done some ugly, nasty things. But when faced with it, he admitted it. And that is so hard for some to do. He had faith. Isn't that amazing? He had faith in God. He knew that God was steadfast. And David... Shows faith in God by asking him for this. He has to fall upon his mercy and his grace. There's nothing else David can do. He's confronted with it. He understands that God could have and had the right to destroy him. God could... Understand God owns your next breath. God owns that one. He gave it to you. And he gave David another breath... Just to say this, having mercy on David. He had every right to take it from him, to take his life from him. There was no more hiding. He couldn't cover it up. He's been exposed. David just didn't want to be forgiven. He wanted to be completely cleaned. He asked to be cleansed. He asked that the filth to be taken away. David needed relief that only divine forgiveness could give. When you carry a burden like this for so long, it, what a relief. Just a release to ask for forgiveness, to experience it. The relief that comes is beyond description. You have to. And if you're a Christian and you've experienced it, you understand what that relief is. Once again, if you're here this morning and you're covering something up, you're dealing with something in your life, there is relief. There is relief and forgiveness from God. David knew that what he had done was unforgivable in this world. You see, David's done these things. We've described them. They're out there for the whole world for eternity to be seen. But David, in his world, was the Supreme Court. He was the king. And he would have set in court cases where he helped render decisions and mete out those decisions. And now he's faced and he's sitting on the other side of it and he's begging for mercy. I would just wonder what kind of a judge he was after this. If he might have been a little bit more compassionate. Often that happens with those They've been forgiven of so much. And this is where we see uh, David needed godly forgiveness. David cried out for mercy. And mercy, by definition, is compassion or forgiveness towards someone whom it is within our power to punish or destroy. Mercy. The next section. David owns his sin. Verses 3 through 5, David acknowledges his sin. He says, for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. He couldn't get away from it, even though he had tried to cover it up to the point where the, the prophet of God can come in, and he's happy to see him. Why? He was covering it up until he was confronted with it. David acknowledges his sins, and he knows they are his and no one else's. There's no one else to blame, only himself. He says it's ever before him. He can't escape it. And we watch people that will chase pleasure in life. They'll chase financial or power, anything they'll chase in life, sometimes turning to drugs and alcohol. I think so often they have. You hear of people that can't face, they can't handle life. They turn to drugs and alcohol. Why? Unwilling. Trying to escape reality. Unwilling to face it. There's literally people that will spend a lifetime running from their sin. Some people would rather carry it unforgiven and seemingly unknown than to face it. And I can promise you, this never ends well. Never ends well. David here recognizes God's sovereignty. He says that... uh, Behold, he was brought forth in iniquity, and sin my mother conceived me. David recognizes God's sovereignty. He understands um, that his sins were against God. He understands that he was born with an inbred nature, that, uh, that he uh, was born with sin already. He was born sinful. Um, it talks about it in other places in the Bible, but that's what he's referring here. He recognizes that his sins were against God. Other people were hurt. You understand, Uriah's dead. Bathsheba lost her family and now has a baby and it's died. There were people around Uriah that were hurt and killed. But David recognizes, even though our actions affect other people, and they do, nobody's an island. What you do has an effect. Sometimes the effect that what you're hiding has on your mind affects others. It'll destroy families. It'll destroy children. It'll destroy you. But David recognized that in spite of the fact that he had wronged all these people, whether or not they ever forgave him or not was not so important as to have God's forgiveness because ultimately the sin was against God. And he was going to stand before God someday and answer for it. And so will we. And it doesn't matter, even if we pass from this world, and sins are exposed. Not long ago, there was a preacher, a worldwide renowned theologian, that died. And after he died, it became it was exposed of some of the filthy things that he had been involved in. It came to light. Oh, he looked great while he was on this world, but he's answered for it now. That's between him and God. That's not a place you want to be. David acknowledges that he was born in sin. Good men left on their own, and this is David, all powerful. So often you see kings as you read them that couldn't handle the power, and a man left unchecked. Unchecked power will almost always fail. A man will always fail. We need checks and balances. And if you put your trust in a man, he will fail you. The only one you can trust is God. We are not infallible. We are men. And we're not perfect. Does everybody fail like David did? No. But we see it so often. In unfettered power is almost always failure. David owned his sin. He owned up to it. He didn't try to blame anyone else. God, I've done it. Have mercy on me. In verses 6 through 13, he begins to seek restoration and renewal. He's already asked for mercy. He's asked to be cleansed. But he's not satisfied with that. He doesn't want to be the same person that he was just cleaned up. He wants to be a completely different person. And this is what he begins to talk to God about in this this, uh, chapter, in this psalm. David's asking for more than forgiveness. He is seeking a change. He wants to be a completely different person than he was before. Oh, he had done a lot of work for God. But now that he's been faced with who and what he was, he's asking God, make me new. He's asking God to purify him. This is more than mercy and forgiveness. Purify me now is what he wants. God, make me something different. Make me something new. He's looking for that pure joy. You remember when you first got saved and you worshiped and just that pure joy? Maybe sometimes now you still experience it. But he had lost that. And that's what he wants back. God, I want to have that pure joy of worshiping you. And then he talks to God about letting the broken bones rejoice. You see, there was heartache. He'd been broken. He had lost his child. He had begged God for that child. But the bones were broken. Now he wants to rejoice. God, repair my heart. God, give me a new heart that I may rejoice, that may follow after you. Oh, the child was gone. There's no bringing him back. You see, there's consequences for actions. And when things are found out, we do have to deal with those consequences. What I love about consequences, though, is that in God's forgiveness and His mercy and His grace, there can be restoration and renewal. We see families put back together. We see lives changed and renewed and a whole new person brought forward when we face and deal with those things that are in our lives. Some hidden, sometimes they're not. But when we face them, when we allow God to do a work in our life, there can be restoration, renewal, and that's what David is asking for. David is asking God to cast his sins as far as the east from the west, to forget them, to put them out of his sight, never to be remembered again. And then David wants to be God's ambassador. He said, I'll teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. David wants to go out and to be an ambassador and to tell others. Remember at the beginning of this, just a few verses ago, he's asking for mercy. Now he's saying, God, Restore me. Renew me. I want to be an ambassador. I want to tell others about you. There's nothing like experience. There's nothing like experience to give us that knowledge of God's restoration, God's mercy, His grace. And I say this often uh, in conversations just talking about dealing with the world. Listen, you'll find somebody who can argue and out-argue your theology almost 100% of the time. Somebody can go twist something and twist you up. The one thing that nobody can ever change or take away from you is your testimony. And when you've been cleaned up and restored and forgiven and put on a right path and you're not the same person again as you were, and nobody can take that away from you. Nobody can change that. And only by the grace of God. Only by the mercy of God. And it has to be asked for. Oh, it's freely given. And it's given in abundance. And His love is steadfast and it's always there. But until we ask for it, it can't happen. What are you struggling with this morning? Where are you at this morning? We know where David was. What he was doing and what he was asking for. How he was asking to be renewed. And the work that God was already doing. He wanted to truly worship God and understand that we're not even capable of that if God doesn't lead us in it. But he asked God, deliver me from my blood guiltiness. And then my song, my tongue will sing aloud. It seems obvious that he's referring to to Uriah, But Uriah was not the only one who died It said that people died around Uriah That was because of David's decree He was responsible for the death of those The child that was born of him and Bathsheba Died And that was David's fault That was David's sin He's asking I, I couldn't help but think As I was preparing this message, um, something will ring uh, for every one of us uh, if you've lived in the Wichita area for any length of time was BTK and how the whole city and area was afraid and concerned about him. His selfishness, that man's selfishness, his own twisted, dark desires was not different than David's here and not different from ours when we go after what it is we want no matter what. Oh, it may not equal what BTKs did or was in the minds of men, but in God's eyes, not so different. And to think how selfish he was and how for so many years it was covered up. Nobody knew. He could have essentially gone to his grave and nobody would ever know. But his own ego, and boy that will get us in trouble, his own ego wouldn't let someone else take credit or tell his story the way he didn't want it told. And he got caught. He was exposed. Not so different from us. Maybe what we're setting on, maybe the things that we're not telling, maybe the things we think are hidden are not as grievous as VTK or as David, but not so different. Especially in God's eyes. He had asked, deliver me from my blood guiltiness. The thing is, is I understand it. VTK has never asked for that forgiveness. He's so self-absorbed, he never has. The difference David. When confronted with it, admitted it, and immediately began to ask for forgiveness. He was the king. He didn't have to ask anybody for anything. And yet he had that healthy fear of God, and he was willing to reach out and ask for forgiveness. And he said, God, forgive me of my blood guiltiness, and my tongue will sing aloud your righteousness. David recognized that God leads us in praise. I mentioned this already. But without God, we can't even think of him, the Bible tells us. And here God has brought him in to write a psalm, has given him the words. You see, David wrote them, and they were from his heart, but God put them in his heart. God allowed him to pen those words. Verse 16, God doesn't need our offering. It says, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. And then goes on to talk about the sacrifices in verse 17 there. God doesn't need your offerings. There's nothing in this world that God needs. It's you. God wants you in transparency. He already knows, but He wants us to be transparent with Him. Not always easy to do. But we've got to spend time with God. We've got to be transparent with Him. Allow Him to work on us. There's things in our life. I heard it said not long ago, a couple of times. When we get to heaven, we're going to be healed of infirmities we don't even know we have. And at times, God will convict us of things we don't even know or recognize. It's that spending time with Him. And we can begin to grow. It's that broken spirit. Broken to God's will. Broken to understanding I'm not really in control. I'm not really as smart as I think I am. I'm not as strong as I think I am. I'm not as spiritual as I think I am. That brokenness to God's will, a contrite heart, the surrender to Him with a broken spirit. Of God, you're in control. What is it you want? And let me tell you something. Someone who gets to that point and begins to make themselves available for God to use, he will in a powerful way. If you're wondering why God's not using you, maybe you need to examine yourself. Maybe you need to spend time with God. Maybe He has some things He wants to grow you in, to work on you. He's faithful and just. He'll do it if we'll make ourselves available. And then when we're that broken spirit, that broken heart, that contrite heart, God will begin to use us, we'll begin to see things happen in our lives that are amazing, that are uh, out of this world. Do good to Zion, the last two verses. And it seems odd that this is at the end. David's been talking about himself and about restoration and, and being, you know, uh, purified with hyssop and, and all of this, uh, uh, cere- some of it ceremonial, um, broken hearts. He saw, and then all of a sudden he changes gears in the last two verses. He says, Do good to Zion. In your good pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, in whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. He's just been talking about didn't need those sacrifices. God doesn't need them. And this is true. But God delights in those when our heart is in the right place. And here's what we need to understand. He was the king. He was the leader of his country. And what he did, his country turned on it. He was also a spiritual leader. Oh, there were priests. But the country would often follow how the king went. And he recognized that his country could suffer because of his iniquity and because of the things that he had done. And he was asking God, to bless Jerusalem, to bless Israel in spite of the things that he had done. And in his forgiveness of David to give blessings to Jerusalem. You see, no matter who you are and who you think you are or aren't, you are a leader. Somebody's watching you and somebody's following you and your actions and how you handle life does affect them. And the fact is, sometimes the consequences affect others than you in your circle. It's important that we recognize where we are, big and small. God, convict me. God, there's none of us that are perfect. I'll guarantee you, I just plowed every person in front of me and standing right here under. There's not one person that doesn't deal with this at times. There's just things we don't want people to know that we want hit that we want to keep away and out of sight. And the struggle is to be transparent with God, to understand that life's real and we have an effect on others, not just ourselves. It's important that we go to God, that we ask for mercy. Chris, if you and team would come. You know, when all was said and done, David, David, I mean, this is some ugly stuff. This ain't pretty to look at. To be quite honest with you, kind of disgusting. One of the greatest men in the Bible. God called David his friend by the end. He's considered the greatest king of Israel ever you go to the star on Israel's flag is called the star of David he is considered he is their hero their ultimate hero and yet he had ultimate failure you know why he's their hero because he owned up what he had done if you would stand all over the house with me this morning we're gonna open the altar we believe that uh, we ought to open the altar if God has pricked your heart it doesn't mean you've done what David did but if God has spoke to you, now is the time to respond. And that's what we want to open up the altars. If God has pricked your heart, don't leave without dealing with this. You see, David became a great man. He already had been a great man. But he asked God to give him a new heart, to give him a new, to make him a new. And I'll guarantee you, different, dealing with him after that was different. And I just wonder who it is or how many of us here this morning if we would get transparent with God if we get real with God and beg for mercy God doesn't have some great things he wants to do but he's waiting on us to ask for forgiveness